I really remember when discovering the coral banks. That was an incredible experience. We went down there and it was totally dark. And then suddenly in the light, there was this ocean of tentacles. And it's like, wow, what is that? Our natural world inspires and shapes us. So it's critical that we work to protect it. I'm Alex Honnold, professional rock climber and founder of the Honnold Foundation. And this is season two of Planet Visionaries. As a climber, I've been fortunate enough to see both the beauty and fragility of our planet. That's why I'm proud to be joining Rolex and the Washington Post Creative Group to bring you stories of inspiring people who are helping solve some of the most important conservation issues we face today. On this episode, I get to speak with marine biologist Brenny Hauserman, who has made it her mission to catalog and protect the extraordinary wildlife found in Chile's deep fjords. Hi, Brenny. Thanks for chatting with us today. Hello, Alex. It's really nice to meet you. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate it. So what first inspired your interest in marine biology? Well, in my family, I really learned to love and respect nature. So I was always interested in any kind of plants, animals. And when we went to the Mediterranean Sea on vacation, I started snorkeling and I was really fascinated by what I saw. So I really loved it. With my brother together, we started saving animals from small on. I have a memory where we saw a couple collecting starfish they wanted to dry and sell. And Mm. so we were horrified. We said, oh, these poor starfish. So we paddled there with our surfboard and stole the bag from them. And they shouted at us and we were so scared and paddling off. And (laughs) it was frightening. But this was kind of the start of trying to save animals. From the very beginning, you were as interested in protecting species as you were in learning about them. I always felt that nature needs protection from humans. Hmm. So I was always worried about humans destroying nature. And this grew more and more the more I learned. So I, I think it's these both things. And so when did you first go to Chile? That was in 94 when there was an exchange um, from the University of Munich. And so together with my husband, we we wanted to use this opportunity. It sounded really cool. At this time, Chile was very far away. It was yeah. at that time, there was not even emailing. So it was traveling to the other end of the world. And it was a big adventure. Do you remember the feeling when you first arrived? Yeah, it was really like strange, really different I mean, I've never traveled far away before. So that was the first time I felt I'm at a totally different spot. Everything is different. It was it was really exciting. What did you discover when you got to Chile? What did you start to work on? We came with our diving equipment with the idea to dive in Chile because uh, it has a huge ocean. So it's kind of obvious that, that there's a lot to discover. And so after diving this year in Concepcion, We felt like, oh, there's so much more to see. It's such a long coastline. It has a coastline of of 100,000 kilometers. I mean, that's two and a half times around the world. So it's huge. (laughs) And that's also a problem, actually, because we don't even know it. We need to know so much more to understand it and to protect it. So we had this idea of doing a really cool diploma thesis to to buy a car here and drive down the whole coast in half a year and just dive every 200 kilometers, more or less. And so what did you find on that first trip diving your way across Chile? The moment we entered Patagonia, 
it was a different world. Hmm. It was incredible. If you look at the exposed coast, there's not so much difference in habitats. And then you enter Patagonia and suddenly you have islands, channels, fjords. And within all the system, you have so many gradients, like you have a gradient of exposure, of sunshine, of wind, of mm. waves. And so you have a different combination of conditions at every place. And so we were totally fascinated. It was so colorful, so diverse. And maybe can you define a fjord? Fjord is a geological structure that is a valley that was formerly filled by a glacier. And when the glacier retracts, it leaves this U-shaped valley and then it's filled by the ocean and then it's a fjord. So could we just call fjords the Yosemites of the sea? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just the difference that a fjord was filled by the ocean. Yeah, maybe I should be thinking of fjords as, uh, as wasted climbing areas. You know, they, they could have been so much bigger, but instead they got filled by the sea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, actually here in Komau Fjord, there are these in Kochamo, you probably know. I yeah, mean, yeah. there are these incredible walls. And in Komau, there are walls where nobody really goes and they're as cool as the Kochamo walls. So there's a lot. It's just the weather problem. I guess. Yeah, Cochamo is, is one of the renowned climbing destinations in Chile. And I went there and, uh, and it's walls similar to Yosemite, but the weather is just so much worse. And, and the, the approaches to get to the walls, you're basically hand over handing through ropes, through the jungle, through like near vertical vegetation. Because it rains so much, everything's so muddy and vegetated. And I was like, well, this is almost as good as Yosemite, except everything else about it is so much harder. Yeah, but I mean, I think at least for me as explorer, the cool thing is to go somewhere where not many others are. Frenny's first dives into the fjords of Chilean Patagonia inspired an entire lifetime of interest in this wild ecosystem. Did you realize how important the fjords were when you first dove in them? Yeah. Like the, the first time you dive there, I mean, was it clear that this was where you should do your work? Yeah, the moment we entered Patagonia, when I first dived in the fjords, that was so overwhelming. I knew at once, wow, this is the best place to dive. And it was so obvious that everything was so poorly known, but there was so much of everything. And it was clear from the beginning that this would be the place to be. For me, Patagonia is the most beautiful place in the world. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what could be better to, to live at an ocean that is poorly explored, and to have the most beautiful mountains around. What's one of your most memorable diving experiences? I really remember when discovering the coral banks. That was an incredible experience because at that time it was when we still were students. So we didn't know a lot about Patagonian marine life and we went down there and it was totally dark. And then suddenly in the light, there was this ocean of tentacles. And it's like, wow, what is that? We were studying anemones. So anemones can form like carpets or something, but they have different kinds of tentacles. It looks different than a coral tentacle. So we said, well, this looks like corals, but like, what does a coral do in a fjord? At that time, we didn't really know. And cold water corals at that time were like just starting to be uh, discovered and publicly known. So for us, it was something new. And we saw this ocean of tentacles and took took one specimen with us and looked at it at the surface and felt like, wow, this is a skeleton. This is a coral. So that was unbelievable. I mean, nobody knew there were corals in Patagonian fjords before. 
I'm like, so, so then what happens? Like, so what do corals in Patagonian fjords do? I mean, is it the same kind of ecosystem as in the rest of the ocean? There are two types of corals, the tropical corals that are in the coral reefs and then the cold water corals. And the cold water corals, they grow in the deep and in the dark generally. And um, they are individual polyps, like they are big. So it looks like an anemone that is on a skeleton. They provide habitat for other species because it's a three-dimensional structure. So it's it's a habitat like a forest. And so that's why they're called marine animal forests. And we have more than 10 of them in, in Patagonia. How does the aquatic biodiversity in, in Chilean Patagonia compare to other places in the world? I've dived in Norwegian fjords and the Patagonian fjords were much more diverse, much more life. Like here in the fjords, we have hardly any rock that's free. So there's life everywhere. So I feel like the diversity here in Patagonia is special and the abundance of life, not only diversity. Chile in Patagonia was defined as a biodiversity hotspot, also by Sylvia Earle. She has these hope spots because it was known to have such a high diversity of life. So, I mean, it's changing a lot. So I've seen really abundance and diversity go down, which is really worrying. But Chile in Patagonia is a very unique spot in its diversity. So what threats do the fjords face? The current threat that is most dramatic are salmon farming. So this is at the moment a threat because it's expanding exponentially. We had this expansion in the last 20 years that was incredible from one or two tiny farms in Comau, for example, to 23 huge farms. And this is clearly right now the the most dramatic change for Patagonia. But at least as dramatic in the mid or long term is climate change. I mean, we are seeing climate change here. It's it's different every year. It's getting drier and drier in summer. And there's more and more sunny days. And then the surface water gets more saline because of the lack of rain. And it gets mm. warmer. And then in combination with the contamination of salmon farms, which brings a lot of nutrients in the fjords, we get these toxic algae blooms that have not mm. been observed before. So it's really dramatically changing. And I think climate change is the, the biggest long-term threat. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, Patagonia is definitely a very sensitive area. And I'm, I'm really worried about the changes we have been observing. The idea of salmon farms just allowing the waste to fall into the sea is sort of akin to a dairy farm just letting all of its waste run straight into a river and then straight into the ocean. It's like you don't normally see people just shoveling waste just like straight into a river and watching it watching it sail away. Like there are at least regulations for land use like that. And I feel like the ocean, probably because you can't see it, is just less regulated. You're just kind of like, oh, you know, the waste, it just disappears into the deep sea. You're kind of like, well, it's, it's obviously not just disappearing, like it's still having an impact. Yeah, I think that's a big problem of the ocean, that a lot of things happen down there and nobody sees it. And that's really a tragedy. I mean, if you burn down a forest, everybody's shocked. If a coral reef dies, nobody sees it. If, if it's dead, you only see it if you just dive directly down there. And so I think people feel like this huge ocean can take everything and it has taken it for so many decades. And I think we're at a tipping point where we have to be really much more aware of the fragility of nature. What have you been doing specifically to help protect the the areas in the fjords? I mean, how, how do you see your work fitting into the, the bigger picture of protecting the fjords? 
Well, I think on one hand, I, I want to deliver the information of about what is there because it's so poorly known. And the problem generally is what we don't know, we don't love. And what we don't love, we don't protect. So the first step is to explore the area, to make it known, to show people what's there, that it's really worth protecting. And then I, I try to convince the NGOs that are working in the area about what is specifically important to protect and talk to the politicians and make them see that we really need to do something now. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm just trying to make people aware of, of the crisis we are in and of how serious it is. With new technology, Vreni has literally been able to reach new depths in her research. You won the Rolex Awards for Enterprise in 2016. How did it feel to get that news? I mean, I was really happy because that gives you, like, the that shows you that what you're doing is worth to somebody. Somebody really appreciates what you're doing. And I think that's the most important of it. And then also the spreading the word is really, Rolex is really good in helping to get the word out about something, about what's happening in Patagonia and what needs to be done. And so how did winning the award impact your work? So with the Rolex Award, we were able to go to expeditions using our underwater robot. And an underwater robot is a vehicle with which you can explore the depth below diving depth. So it's a it's a robot that is on a cable and that can go down depending on the length of the cable to the depth of the fjord. And so we could explore the twilight zone that we weren't able to study before. It was really exciting to see what's living in the depth where we couldn't dive. Now I'm just curious. And so, and you can't dive that deep just because the, the pressure is too much? Like humans just can't dive past a certain limit? I mean, if you are diving with air, the problem is that the high pressure underwater makes that you breathe um, nitrogen under high pressure and this dissolves in your blood. And so after a certain time, which is really low, like in 30 meters, you have like five minutes. And if you pass this time, you have to make a decompression stop going up, which means you have to stay five or 10 minutes and five meters and three meters so that you breathe off all the nitrogen in your blood. Because if you don't, it's like when you open a water bottle that's under pressure and then you would have bubbles all over your body, which would not be fun. And it's really dangerous. <laughs> yeah. So, so to get to the bottoms of the fjords, you need an underwater robot. Yeah. And also the problem is if you're in the middle of Patagonia and you would have any kind of accidents, yeah, goodbye. Because I mean, no, no helicopter would come and you couldn't get to a pressure chamber, not even in days. Yeah, that's exactly the same with mountain climbing in Patagonia. It's like if any kind of accident occurs, there's no helicopter support. There's no rescue, which is crazy because, you know, even in places where there are towns nearby, like there's just none of the, the amenities that you sort of uh, expect in, in other parts of the world. What was the first dive you did with the new underwater robot? Well, we looked at the corals um, in Komau Fjord and the corals go down basically to the ground of the fjord down to nearly 500 meters. So oh. everywhere where we have vertical walls, there are corals. Hmm. So there's a lot left to explore. It's a very special, special place. What are some of the other benefits of being part of the, the Rolex Awards for Enterprise Community? Have you worked with Sil Sylvia Earle at all? Yeah, I mean, we tried three times that she comes to dive with me with the corals. But yeah, I've met her several times and she's a big hero for me. She's incredible. 
Yeah, you were pretty inspired by her work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she is. She's working so hard to to save the oceans, and she's traveling all around the world, talking to important people, and she's listened to. I mean, when she talks, it's incredible. I mean, she's like she's the, very uh, convincing. She's like the Jane Goodall of the sea. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I, I got to speak with her uh, for the first episode of the show, so it was a uh, it was a nice nice chat. Franny's goal is to inspire others to explore and protect the planet's most wild places. So, so what do you see as the future of your research? Like, what do you hope to achieve with your work? I, I hope that I can help to make this more known, that we, on one hand, get enough scientific information to be able to really protect the fjords based on information and based on, on knowing where are the most diverse areas, for example, the most sensitive areas. And on the other hand, also get the word out so that people learn about this and see that, that it's really worth protecting what they have, that they appreciate the marine life next to their door so that they, they start loving it and that showing their children and really being proud of it and like this supporting conservation. What advice would you give to somebody who's interested in the same kind of work? Oh, there's a lot to do here. I mean, I think just do it. I mean, there's... there's... <laughs> You're like, just come to Patagonia and do some cold water diving into enormous fjords with yeah. you know, no visibility, freezing water, stormy seas. Yeah, everybody should just come. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you if you're curious about all this, um, then people will do it. I think being interested in exploration and in in discovering new things, um, Patagonia is waiting. Yeah, it does feel like you know I've spoken to to many different scientists, biologists, you know, people doing this type of work, and I feel like when you're working in Chilean Patagonia, you, there really is a lot more exploration to it, especially under underwater. I feel like your work really has an exploratory feel to it that, that some other scientific research right now doesn't, where it's like it really is the unknown because literally nobody goes there. Yeah, and and that's, I think for me, that's the exciting part of it because it's like an adventure. And what advice would you give to the average person on how they can help keep the planet perpetual? I think it's important to think about consuming. What do I really need? And if I consume something, try to make a good choice. Like, for example eat fish low in the food chain, um, try to eat as few meat as possible and organic meat or organic food. Because with this, every everything we buy, every time we buy something, it's a decision about what we want, how the planet works. So I think it's it's about these tiny decisions. We just all have to change our way of living if we want to save this planet. And we are so many people it's just not working if everybody just keeps doing what they've always done. So I think we have to, right now, we have to focus on the oceans. That was marine biologist Rennie Hauserman. Something I was struck by talking to Rennie is just how passionate she is for the work. She stumbled upon one of the one of the great finds left in the world. You know, I mean, I think if you have an adventurous spirit and you suddenly find somewhere that is is teeming with undiscovered life, I mean, it's almost like she has an obligation to stay there and, and, and do the work. 
I mean, I, I would feel the same way if I discovered another Yosemite Valley somewhere. I mean, I'd feel almost an obligation to stay there and, and develop it a little bit for climbing and put up some roots because you're like, well, geez, you just don't find things like that very often. And, and if you do make a huge discovery, you know, I mean, you have to see it through to some extent. That's always pretty inspiring to, to talk to somebody who's doing the thing that they do best in the place that has the biggest impact. I'm Alex Honnold. Thanks for listening to Planet Visionaries. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like it, leave a review, and subscribe to hear from more extraordinary laureates. On the next episode, I'll be joined by cave explorers Francesco Sauro and Gina Mosley, who have each gone where no other humans have been before. And if you liked this episode, check out the first episode of Season 1, where I spoke to Sylvia Earle, one of the world's most renowned marine scientists and explorers. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check out the next generation of environmental innovators at rolex.org.